0: My name is Scott Chaloner, and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very cool and windy wintry morning here in the capital, but joining me on the programme today to hopefully add a little warmth and brightness to affairs is Karen Lowen. Um, Karen is the founder and director of three micro-businesses, namely Accountancy Practice, Turl & Co Limited, Manufacturer and Monthly Subscription Box Retailer, Witchbox Limited an accountancy software company, Doddle Corporation Limited as well. Uh, Karen, very warm welcome to yourself this morning, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show. Good
1: morning, Scott, and thank you for the invitation. I'm pleased to be here.
0: Yeah, it's um, fantastic having you with us. And, uh, of course, you're running three organisations, so very, very, very busy, of course. Um, But obviously, yeah, definitely. And uh, when it comes to sort of the journey that you had in sort of going into business for yourself. I'd be interested to understand what it was that sort of made you feel that sort of going into business was going to be the the way forward for you.
1: Well, I always wanted to be in business. I've run a number of companies over the years. These are my three current companies. At mm-hmm. one time, I did run a plumbing company as well. Um, I, I think the opportunities for women in business themselves on an employed basis are still not great. So I knew that I wanted to be a leader, and there were things that I wanted to accomplish, and I felt I could better do that within my own company than outside in the employed
0: world. That's very interesting, actually, because there were some weeks ago where I did actually speak to um, a, a a woman, a businesswoman who was on the, uh, the this program actually, and uh, she was talking about sort of the very difficult challenges that women have when even they're in executive positions in businesses and they're actually struggling to almost be heard in the boardroom and are almost being overruled by mm. some of their male colleagues. So it goes to show that even with sort of gender diversity in mind, there is still sort of some way to go to kind of reach that sort of quality that we're looking for.
1: Yes. I mean, things have improved dramatically since Mm. I've been of working age. I remember when I first started working, my first position was in Lloyds Bank. And then we were judged very much um, as women. So, for instance, in my first appraisal, it was noted that I always turned out attractively and had nice shoes. I mean, nowadays, that would not be considered a healthy or even legal Uh, appraisal. But in those days, that was commonplace. And I think older women, and I'm in that category now, unfortunately, remember those days and how far we've come, but we've still not come far enough. And when you think that out of our top 100 companies in the UK, only eight of them are run by women, and yet women make up half the workforce, that's despicable really, and Mm. and what is that saying about us as a society? So I think we still have a long, long way to go.
0: I think there's also a lot of judgment towards business women out there as well, isn't there? There's still this sort of tendency to view a woman in an executive position as essentially emotionally fragile, perhaps not necessarily up to the job. And I think it's those sort of deep-rooted sort of stereotypes, perceptions. Those are the sorts of things that we sort of need to be looking at that a little bit more, aren't they?
1: Yeah. As human beings, we all have our own mindsets, and it's difficult to break down those stereotypical images that are held by the population at large. And that is a real barrier for us as women when we reach top levels of management or executive positions, and we very much have to hold our own in the boardroom. And one of the the women that I admire in business is Karen Brady, And when she was first appointed as manager of a football club, she was told, you'll have to be twice as good as any man. And she said, well, that's not a problem, is it? And I've always remembered that because I think it's a it's comment that we're expected to be better than a man would be. And that shouldn't be the case. We should be appointing the best people for these roles, whether they are male or female. And as I said, when women make up half the workforce, we should have better representation at board level, and we need to look at why that isn't happening. Is that happening because we just don't provide enough good examples in the business world for women to follow? Is it that we're not succession planning successfully? Is it that recruitment um, agencies and the people responsible for hiring aren't looking at women in the same way? we need to break this down really and make sure that we have better representation of the population as a whole. Mm.
0: That's very, very right, isn't it? These are the fundamentals that we do certainly need to be looking at and it's a good time to do it as well because in the aftermath of the uh, the COVID-19 situation there is this watershed moment where we're looking a lot more sort of deeply into things like how we manage our own mental health physical health and our own stress as well and like i say that is not of course to obviously be prejudiced against sort of women and driving that view forward that oh you know our female counterparts are sort of a little bit more fragile emotionally it's something that's happening across all genders isn't it all sexes everybody Mm -hmm. is very aware of that And um, just sort of reflecting on COVID, um, I can imagine that for your businesses as well, Karen, um, you've had your fair share of challenges over the year, the last couple of years on that front. Um, How has it been, from your perspective, trying to manage that?
1: Well, I think it's been difficult for everybody. Every business across all sectors has been affected in some way, most of that in a negative way, sometimes positive, but mostly it's been a challenge. I think that businesses that hadn't looked ahead and realised that the world is becoming more virtual by the moment really caught a cold when Mm. COVID hit. Fortunately, the accountancy world has already been changing and becoming more cloud-based and online, and we were already geared up for that with Toll & Co. So it was a fairly simple step, actually, for us to go fully virtual and have everyone working from home in in a very good, effective way, with Witchbox, which is a manufacturing retail company, it was more of a challenge. We were able to go on manufacturing. Again, we sell predominantly online. Ninety nine point nine percent of our sales are online, so it wasn't a big challenge for us to see that through the lockdowns and various other other challenges. So I think if you were already Accepting that the world of business is changing and you needed a virtual presence, it wasn't too much of an ask. However, the businesses that really struggled were the ones that weren't internet ready, that Mm. hadn't produced a website, that were working within their community at a community level. Those were the businesses that I've certainly seen really struggle through this. And there wasn't the training or advice available during the lockdown for businesses to go mobile. So the advice network shut down. It took some time for local councils to produce Zoom training and other forms of online training. So when businesses were saying, well, how do I do that? How do I build a website? How do I go online? That help wasn't available. And so they were effectively closed at that point. And I know even some accountancy practices where it's been quite clear that the way forward is going to be a virtual one, haven't prepared in time and really struggled to cope.
0: Yeah, I completely agree on that front. Um, When it's sort of been a case of businesses having to kind of take everything online overnight when they hadn't the sort of infrastructural means to do it, it became very difficult to sort of make that transition, didn't it? And I think even where um, businesses have had sort of a smoother time sort of facilitating the transition over to a flexible working framework, I think it's taken a little bit of an adjustment in leadership style from everybody, hasn't it? Because all of a sudden, when you're facing up to working with your team and you're deployed all over the place, You have to manage that situation a little bit differently because that physical contact isn't there. You're having to check in that little bit more regularly using virtual means such as Zoom and Teams. And when you're also trying to maintain morale and just make sure that mental health within the workforce is where it should be, it just becomes that little bit more difficult to monitor, doesn't it? Where you can't sort of catch the same social cues as you would in person for one.
1: Yes, and it affects different groups of employees differently. Mm -hmm. So for instance, we were able to have morning meetings by Zoom every day, just to touch base and to have that contact with the rest of the team. However, the ones that found it difficult were the trainees. So they really suffered because they weren't getting the one-to-one support. They couldn't be on Zoom all the time saying, how do I do this? Have I done this correctly? So we found that the training contracts that we had became extremely difficult to deliver because we couldn't give that constant mentoring that we would do to our trainees.
0: Yeah it's difficult isn't it when like that contact is broken down and you're having to sort of facilitate that contact that little bit differently and uh, I think as well um, something that we do have to consider when we're in leadership roles especially is uh, the following that when we are sort of under pressure and obviously you know we're having to decipher a lot of guidance coming from governments and everybody's sort of looking to us for an answer I guess and we can't always provide that. The pressure piles onto leadership doesn't it and it's become very clear, we've become very, very self-aware, especially over the last couple of years when we're in these positions, that we do as leaders, as directors, as CEOs, we need to take a step back as and when we need to as well to also prioritise our own mental health, don't we?
1: Yes, and that was particularly particularly difficult with Toll & Co during lockdown because as accountants we were being bombarded with government legislation that often came the last minute, So it was being released late at night but coming into law the following day. Mm. So we were having to do long hours, late hours, to read through all of this legislation so that we could then go on to advise our own clients. And that meant that we started doing very long hours. And that was to the detriment, perhaps, of our mental health and well-being. And it was at a time as well where we couldn't recruit. It was very difficult to recruit during the um, pandemic because the normal recruitment channels had closed down. So it was a difficult time, but we did manage to get through it by being very good at time management and having cut off points. But also, yeah. as well, we didn't have the social life available to us that perhaps many of us would have had. So it became more accessible to work the longer hours because you were thinking, well, I'm not going to have the opportunities to go out and meet with people socially, to have a drink, to have a meal. So I might as well work. And it was only, I think, during the second, towards the end of the second lockdown, where I took the decision that we were going to do more normal hours and limit what we were able to to do um, for our clients, for our own sake.
0: I think this is sort of one of the pitfalls of the flexible working framework, isn't it? We talk about the advantages of home working in terms of productivity, in the sense that, you know, without the commute, we have more time where we can sort of mm. be online and be present. But it's not just sort of blurred the line between work and home life, which we've had to sort of carefully manage individually. I suppose it's also increased client expectations that, oh, I can send an email at say 11 p.m. at night and the likelihood is I am actually going to get quite a quick response. So that hasn't helped yeah. on that side of things, that sort of increase in expectation. And so it seems that you've sort of taken that into your own hands and tried to manage that, just obviously to make sure that everybody is where they should be mentally and they're not being overburdened in that way.
1: Exactly. Well, we have obviously dedicated telephone numbers, but I think many small businesses weren't able to do that. So they were giving out their personal mobile numbers and often replying well into the evening, as you said, or at weekends. And then, of course, now they're having to make clear that that has stopped and you can't ring them up at 11 o'clock at night saying, can you, you know I've got a leak, can you come and fix it? Um, Or, you know, can you give me some advice on this business matter? It's not going to work like that. But I've spoken to many, many businesses since we've come out of these lockdowns and they are reassessing the way that they work. So, for instance, I've spoken to a hairdresser recently that has taken the decision to close on a Saturday. Now, pre-COVID, that would have been unheard of, but they've decided for their own mental health and well-being, they're no longer prepared to work six days a week. So they're going to close on that one day. They're also saying that demand for going into appointments on the weekend has dropped, which is interesting because people are starting to say, well, OK, we're working flexibly, so I can take an hour out during the week and make that up in the evening, for example. I've also spoken to a tyre fitter and they have taken the decision to close weekends and evenings and are now doing a nine-to-five office hour um, service. So the world is changing. People are starting to see the need for a greater work-life balance and that is affecting the way that businesses are working.
0: Yeah, I think we're starting to really see that for certain and... I think reflecting as well just on the last two years by and large, with all of the changes that have been made and the challenges that we've undergone, I suppose you've probably learned quite a lot about sort of yourself and your teams, haven't you, in the way that you have adapted and that there are probably some real positives despite all the tragedy to sort of really take forward from this. would you say that that's the case?
1: Yes, I would. I think there was almost a kind of a d-day feeling amongst the staff in in my companies. Because we felt that we were going through something momentous together. It became a shared experience. We were all working from home. We were all adapting. We were all talking about whether we should actually be working in our pyjamas. Is that a good thing? Or should we dress for business because it made us feel more like we were at work? All of those conversations were had. And it became a real shared thing that we were going through together and getting stronger as a team because of. And I think, yes, there were obviously leadership challenges, but we have adapted now the way that we've worked and some of that is carrying through. So we do now have a little homeworking still. We are more flexible about things than we have been in the past. And as a team, I would say that we are overall stronger because of it.
0: I think it's testament to sort of the importance of small businesses, isn't it? The way that industry has adapted to the pandemic. I mean, we all know that small business makes up the backbone of the UK economy, but the way that it has sort of pivoted during the pandemic to sort of keep vital services running and the way that it's even continuing to adapt to the changing demands in what's going to be the post-COVID world it just really reinforces the importance of small business to the UK as a whole, doesn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, microeconomy, the, the micro businesses have been my passion for a long time, which is why I do the things that, that I do. I mean, the microeconomy in this country alone makes up 90% of all businesses. And I'm talking about businesses that employ nine or less people. So we're responsible for a third of all employment. I mean, that is a lot of people and that is a lot of business. And interestingly, whereas the larger companies' growth has slowed, the growth in the micro-economy is booming and is outstripping any growth in the larger companies. So there is a real importance to support the micro-businesses in the right way. Unfortunately, over the years, I found there's a big disconnect between the advice that businesses need and the advice that is available for micro-businesses. And people talk about the Westminster bubble. I think there is very much a sort of a a London bubble that where these policies and things are put into effect, they trickle down to the local regions. The regions then enact what they've been told to do. And sometimes it, it isn't relevant to the sectors that they are dealing with in that area and i think that is something as well that that needs to be addressed and we need now to be supporting micro businesses with the challenges ahead and helping them to achieve even more growth and rebuild our economy better and stronger
0: If we are to level up indeed in more than just name, that is exactly what we need to be doing. I think that's absolutely right. And just focusing on the future as well now, Karen, before we wrap up on the programme this morning, because I'm conscious that we are starting to run short of time. Um, We are now into the new year 2022 and hopefully are emerging from sort of the acute phase of uh, COVID and entering a period of some recovery. So for yourself personally, we have talked about what you'd sort of like to see from a wider industry perspective, businesses being better supported, but what are the ambitions for sort of you and your three businesses and what are you really hoping to achieve over this uh, next 12 months?
1: Wow, that's, that's a question that would probably take me a very long time to answer in full, but in, <laughs> in short, with Turl & Co, we are looking for growth and we are growing quite, quite well, we actually grew through the pandemic because we were able to go online so quickly um, we are looking to build our team we've just taken on a, a new member recently with Witchbox, my uh, manufacturing and retail business we are looking at again to grow we're currently looking to fill two positions in that company we're looking to expand our market particularly into america and, you know, maybe other parts of Europe that are becoming difficult for us to sell into. And with Dobble, my software company which provides um, MTD software, uh, we're currently looking for growth there and for investment opportunities so that we can reach its full potential. So it's going to be a busy 2022 spot.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems like there's plenty on your plate to be getting on with and there are some absolutely fantastic ambitions there for the businesses to uh, to move forward, Karen. And uh, just given, you know, the level of variables that are still in this and the scale of those plans that you have, given how enlightening as well it's been having you on the show with us today, I'd I'd relish the opportunity to actually welcome you back onto the programme in future to just sort of talk about how some of those visions are really starting to be realised later in the year.
1: It would be
0: my pleasure, Scott, any time. It would be wonderful welcoming you back on. I mean, and hopefully there will be some absolutely fantastic and really positive news to uh, to share at that point. But until then, uh, Karen, thanks ever so much for joining us on the show today. It's been an immense pleasure having you with us. And by all means as well, please do take care and stay safe with all that's still going on. Thank you for
1: having me, Scott.
0: It was an immense pleasure for me to welcome Karen Lowen onto today's programme and I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview as much as I. And to anybody tuning in today who may run their own business and own organisation or may feel you have your own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means we would like to hear from you. So why don't you also apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Um, Until next time, to all of our regular listeners, please do take care and goodbye.